Daniel chapter 7, and I'm looking forward to today. Uh, today, as we turn the, the, the pages from Daniel chapter 6 to Daniel chapter 7, we leave a relatively easy narrative section, a biographical section of the book. Oh, hold on, I'm being flagged, thank you. There you go, trying to get, come out of the gate. All right, I'm going to pause here, and I want to bring a couple of people up here. Thank you, guys. Um, let's see. We're, oh. So we're moving from a simple narrative and biographical part of the teaching to the more mysterious uh, sections of prophecy. And when you think about prophecy, you have to realize that what we're seeing today is, yes, stuff that was prophesied while Daniel was alive, and it, much of it occurred after his death, okay? That's very, very important. And then we get into the eschatological part of the teaching, which has to do with things that are yet to come. The actual definition is the study of final things, the study of the last days. So this is where we're going. Now, reading Daniel for yourself, it appears to be really random and, and disjointed. I think chapter 7 is kind of that way. But it really isn't. What it's doing, it's offering us an amazing overview of history and God's grand design for, for, for humanity. Most of this, as I said, occurred long after Daniel had died. Some of it is still future to us. Some of it, uh, we can look back and we can actually see how it's all played out. Others of it uh, is stuff that's happening at this very moment. I think you'll see that. It also has to do with stuff that is yet to come. So what this is doing, it's verifying that God's word is true. It's verifying that everything that God said is playing out just as God has said. And therefore, we can know with confidence that it's going to continue to play out just as God has said in, in future events. And, and that gets really, really, really exciting. I think bottom line, what we need to hear, and this is the, the premise of this whole study, God is in control, okay? And here we are situated in this place in time, this place in history, that we can look at it and we can say, yeah, that really happened. And if, yes, if that really happened, then we can have confidence this is going to happen as well. It's good when God is in control. <laughs> a business owner had been struggling with giving his business to God. And one day he was praying and was highly convicted that this was the moment that he needed to put his business on the altar. So he did. He put his whole business before God. He gave it to him. And shortly after that, he got a phone call that his business was on fire. <laughs> so calmly, he gets into his car. He drives down to the building. Uh, he steps out of his car, and there he is just calmly observing when a friend sees him, comes running over. Can't believe how calm this guy is. And he says, how can you be so peaceful in the midst of this? Don't you see your whole business is burning down? And the guy said, not a problem. I gave it to God this morning, and if he wants to burn it down, that's his business. <laughs> All right? Yeah, so if God's in control, life is a whole lot simpler. I want to simplify, overly simplify, chapter 7 this way. History is and will continue to be filled with turmoil in an evil which is best seen 
when we look at selfishness or narcissism. Because when I want what I want and you want what you want, their conflict develops. Okay, so this is the root of it all. Yet the Lord who is over all will continue to be involved in the affairs of men right up until one last cataclysmic moment when he takes charge of all things. And I think the application here is a call to believers to stand strong, stand strong in the Lord, shining as lights, as beacons in dark times, knowing that victory is for sure for those who put their trust in the Lord. All right, now look at verse 1, chapter 7. I want you to see who's on the throne here. Okay, this is Belshazzar, King Belshazzar. You should be familiar with King Belshazzar because we read about him in chapter 5. This is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. We read about him when we talked about how the handwriting is on the wall. That's where this statement comes from. Now, in chapter 5, when we read about him, he was in his final moments as king of Babylon. But right here, he's in his initial moments as king in Babylon. So chronologically speaking, chapter, five, chapter 7 fits somewhere between chapters 4 and 5. Okay, now that's not done this way to mess you up. It's done this way because it's, it's separating that narrative section of the Bible from the prophetic section. Okay, we're going to see Belshazzar again next week. So last week, when we finished chapter 6, Daniel was uh, 82 years old, maybe more. Today, he's about 68 years of age. So we start picking it up with verse 2. And notice how these four winds of heaven, they're churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. What he's probably seeing here is the Mediterranean. We don't know for sure, but biblical events take place in this very important part of our world. The four winds, the churning of the sea, represent turmoil on planet Earth. And it's out of this turmoil and unrest that these beasts arise. Out of turmoil, out of frustration, out of, out of man's flesh and the craziness that that brings about. It's out of this madness that these beasts arise. Okay, now, I want you to jump to the interpretation. We're going to go back and forth to the vision and to the interpretation because I think it will help us to see this a little more clearly. I'm at verse 15 here. And what Daniel is seeing here, very troubling to him, very disturbing in his spirit. It's upsetting him. It's, it's, it's breaking his heart. And he wants to know what all this means. So in verse 17, we read this. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. Four kings. Does that sound familiar to you? This has been consistent throughout our teaching. These four kings mirror the same kingdoms that we saw in chapter 2 when we met Nebuchadnezzar's statue that he had had in a dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. It is now 50 years later 
Nothing in that dream has played out the way Daniel interpreted that it would, but it's getting ready to, to come to pass now. So God is now reinforcing that same dream by giving it in a different way to Daniel. Okay, so now we see these four Bs. Look at verse 4. We're back to the beginning of chapter 7 again. The first beast, I'll add that word there, was like a lion. doesn't say it was a lion, but like a lion. And it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. Okay, this lion, the lion, representing King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the same uh, idea that we saw in the gold head in this statue. It's a lion with wings like an eagle representing Nebuchadnezzar's pride. But did you notice what happened to the wings? What happened to them? They were torn off. That's exactly right. Do you remember what we saw happening to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4? He was stripped of his pride. He was stripped of his kingdom. He lost his mind. He became like a wild ox. And this is true. Where he was literally out grazing in the fields. Just like an animal. And then one day... He looked up to God. He looked up to the heavens. He humbled himself before God, and God restored everything to him. And just like this lion stands and receives the mind of a human being, so Nebuchadnezzar stands. He's restored, right? And he receives the mind of a human being once again. I think it's significant to know that Babylon represents today modern-day Iraq. I think it's important. Areas of conflict in our world today. Let's go to the second beast, verse 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one, one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So what do we have here? We have a lopsided bear. That's what it is. Stood up on one of its sides. This is the Medo-Persian Empire, which was represented by the chest and arms in Nebuchadnezzar's statue. It's the kingdom that will soon conquer Babylon. At this point, that hasn't happened. It's about to come. This bear is lopsided because it represents a dual kingdom which the Persians dominate over the Medes. That's what's going on here. Why does it have three ribs in its mouth? Because there were three kingdoms that came together to try to stop the Persians, and they were all conquered. Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Again, hasn't happened yet, but it's getting ready to happen at this point. This is amazing. This represents modern-day Iran. Interesting. Next beast. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. The leopard, okay? One of the fastest known animals on planet Earth. And like a leopard, 
Alexander the Great conquered the known world at an amazing speed. Then he sat down and wept when there was nothing left to conquer, and he died somewhere around 30, 33 years old of alcoholism and, and liver disease. Alexander the Great, still a hero in many parts of the world today. The belly and thighs of bronze are represented by him. This is the ancient Grecian Empire. Again, prophecy being foretold. In fact, next week in chapter 8, we're going to see this kingdom named, given by name, even before this happens. Just like we saw King Cyrus given by name by the prophet Isaiah some hundred plus years before the events ever happened. This is how amazing and specific it gets. The four heads of this leopard are thought to represent the four generals who served under Alexander. And after Alexander died, his kingdom was divided into four separate kingdoms, and each of them ruled a different part. It's amazing. Verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked... And there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. This beast represents the Roman Empire. It was represented in the statue by uh, the legs of iron. Daniel couldn't think or find an animal on earth to compare this beast to. And I think we'll see why in a moment. Uh, it uses its iron teeth, which represent Roman legions, to crush everything in its path. How is it different from the other beasts? It's different in that its influence continues long after its demise. And this becomes more important as we go. These ten horns are very important to us because they are the same as the ten toes on the giants and they represent the day you and I are living in right now. How is that so? Well, today there is no dominant world empire, but instead there are multiple empires that exist out of Roman influence. And if you want to know some specifics of that, listen to my teaching on chapter 2 that we did a few weeks ago. But just as this giant statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was disportioned, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and had incredibly long legs, the long legs represent the longest period of influence. Ten horns, ten toes, they represent the era you and I are living in today. But what I need you to see here is that everything is playing out exactly as God said it would. I'm glad I'm not a weatherman today. I'm glad I didn't predict 36 inches of snow today for Estes Park, right? The forecasters don't get it right. God gets it right. <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't know this. But the schools gave us warning on Friday that they might cancel us tomorrow. Yeah, or on Friday, they gave us warning that they might cancel us yesterday, excuse me. And uh, so we were prepared. The movie theater was ready for us to have worship there if we couldn't get into the, the schools. 
But I'm glad we're able to meet here today. I'm glad the weather guys were wrong, right? Yeah. But God is never wrong. And we need to see this. Ancient Babylon came and went, just as foretold. Ancient Persia came and went after Daniel had died. Or no, actually, during Daniel's life. I'm sorry, we'll see that. we've seen that with King Darius. Uh, ancient Rome will come and go. That one's long after Daniel has died. We are now in the era of the ten horns. But there's something else that came out of this, out of these four kingdoms, that is affecting you and me right now. And so we see this as we move on in verse 8. Look at it. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So that's how the fourth horn is different. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. All right, now let's jump down to some of the interpretations here. Verse 21. As I watched this, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Uh, some say that the holy people here are converted Jews that will come to faith after the rapture. If you're not familiar with the term rapture, it's uh, Actually, not a biblical term, but it's defined for us in places like 1 Thessalonians where we see the, the people of God being taken up to be with Jesus. Okay, that's the rapture. And many uh, pre-tribulation uh, believers say that we will be taken up before this seven-year tribulation period so that this would be the Jews who were taken up uh, after, who are taken up after the rapture happens. But the truth is, and, and we need to consider this because it's a very real possibility. The truth is, we can look at history and we can see how Jews have been persecuted and continue to be persecuted even now, and how Christians even now are dying in record numbers all over the world. Okay, verse 25, continuing these interpretations. This is another one. He will speak against the Most High, this little horn, and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times time and a half. Time, times time and a half. If you know anything about the last days, if you've heard anything about the seven-year tribulation period, this is talking about the last three and a half years of tribulation when the Antichrist shows his worst after deceiving people. That's what this is talking about right here. Okay, now this is where I'm taking a little bit of a different path. Okay, and, and it's something that I've been considering and I think is worth considering. And some of you have heard me teach on this before. It's the idea that the seven years of tribulation may not be a literal seven-year tribulation period. But instead, that the seven years of tribulation could potentially represent a season, a period of time, an era, 
an era that potentially began with the stoning of Stephen and continues today. That would suggest that you and I are living in the tribulation period right now as Christians have been for a long, long time. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that there are going to be some final climactic moments and a time when a literal personality, a world leader, will show himself and the worst of mankind will step forward. And in this time, natural disasters, wars will accelerate like never before and persecution of the church accelerate like never before. So that in this scenario, the potential is that the church would be raptured just before the events that take us from Revelation chapter 6 to chapter 16 begin to happen. I think it's worth considering. I think it's worth looking at if you consider what's happening, persecution of Christians, persecutions of believers all over the world. I think it's valuable. Here's what I want to do. I want to take us over to Revelation chapter 13. I want you to see the beast, the Antichrist, And I want you to do a comparison between what we just read about this little horn and how the Antichrist is defined. Okay, let's do this. Chapter 13, Revelation, starting with verse 1. Here we go. The dragon, that's Satan. And potentially this is the beast that Daniel could not recognize that influences Rome. He stood on the shore of the sea, again, Mediterranean, possibly, where world events continue to happen. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. What did the four beasts come out of? The sea, that's right. It had ten horns and seven heads, and ten, horns on its, and ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. So ten, ten, seven. Three didn't carry on. One did, right? The beast I saw resembled what? So it's like a leopard. But had feet of those like those of what? A bear. And a mouth like that of what? A lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Jumping to verse 4. People worshiped the dragon. Because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Meaning, the beast is great. No one will ever defeat the beast, not even God himself. Verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words. Sounds familiar. And blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months, times, times, time and a half. Three and a half years. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place. Um, in the scenario of us living in a season of tribulation, this could well represent the holy place in Israel where the temple once was. The mosque of Omar was placed in the court of the Gentiles, thinking that it had been placed over the holiest of holy place. 
in order to slander the name of God, in order to desecrate the holy place. So it could be that place, but it could be God's people, wherever we are. Interesting thoughts. And those who live in heaven, so speaking against anything that has to do with God, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So do you see the comparison? Do you see how they're very similar? In fact, they sound much the same. Much of the expressions are practically verbatim as if Daniel or, or as if John is getting his vision by reading the book of Daniel, but he's not getting it by reading the book of Daniel. He's getting it specifically in his own vision. Very important. But please don't be mistaken. Just because it's called a little horn doesn't mean it's cute. All right? In fact, I have a feeling that the little horn, right, whenever he hears the little horn, his teeth are set on edge and he's really mad because he doesn't want you to think of him as being the little horn. He wants you to think of him as being the big deal. Huh? Don't call me little horn. Do you know who I am? <laughs> but friends, that's all he is. He's a little horn. And he's a spirit that has been at work in our world throughout history, which was accelerated at the time of Christ, and evidence of him abounds more and more, but ultimately he will manifest himself as a world leader, a world personality that will deceive those who reject the truth. Get people following him, just like Hitler did. How did that happen? And then all of a sudden, his real nature will be unveiled. Wow, how do, we, how do we prepare? Am I doing this to, to create fear in the body? No, I'm doing it to prepare us that we can be ready. That's why we say all eyes on Jesus because everything else potentially will fail, right? He will never fail. He will never fail. All eyes on Jesus, right? Yeah, all eyes on Jesus. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. The truth will protect you in the last days. Now, honestly, some have said that this be, this little horn uh, wasn't the Antichrist at all, but in fact, this was Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler sounds a lot like this guy, right? He spoke proudly, didn't he? He destroyed six million plus of God's people, and if you were Daniel and you were seeing this vision and you never saw a German swastika, could that swastika represent a human eyeball? Right? Red flag, round circle with an X in the middle of it. But Adolf Hitler is nothing compared to this little horn. Okay? But he was driven by the same spirit. You better believe it. All right? Now, think about Israel today. And this is, this is where, this is right here. This is going to separate some of us. But I have to talk about it because I wouldn't be true to Scripture if I didn't, right? So my goal here isn't to win you to me and persuade you about what a nice guy I am and how I fulfill loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. I would discredit myself on this one, but we need to consider how Jews are moving back to Israel in record number, and they have been ever since World War II. They started prior to that, 
But boy, this little part of the world is in the news every single day. And that's all it is, is a tiny part. You look at Syria. You, you, you look at uh, Iraq and Iran. And you look how massive they are surrounding this little place called Israel. And there's tension here. This is the place where it's all centered. This is the place where all prophecy points. And in the last days, the nations will align themselves against the people of Israel. And right now, we've bought into propaganda that Israel's the bad guys. Now, we have to be honest. Israel's not a a bunch of Christians, although people are coming to faith over there like never before. In fact, both Arabs and Israelis are coming to faith in Christ. Revival is breaking out over there. So this isn't about one people against another or us choosing one people against another. It's about praying for the peace of Israel. It's about believing God to capture the hearts of all people on earth. That's what we're talking about, right? But the spirit of Antichrist is stirring people against God's chosen people. And if you've been sold this lie that Christians are the new Jews, it's not true. You've got to go over to Romans chapter 11. You've got to read that the Jews have a special place in God's heart. And he's going to draw them back to themselves. So we pray for them. It's the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world. Last week, 21 men beheaded. Right? But what the news didn't want you to know is these were Christian men because killings like this are on the increase. Uh, these, these Islamic uh, extremists are demanding that we reject whatever God we serve and that we bow down to Allah, and Christians just can't do this. This is happening all over the world. It's happening in places that we never thought it would happen. It's happening in France. It's happening in England. It's happening and developing in the United States even right now. And while our leaders are calling us to embrace Islam and try to understand Islam, murders continue. The spirit continues to be on the rise. But friends, That's just one facet of how the Antichrist is working today. We don't need to hate these people. We need to pray for them. We need to ask Jesus to give us opportunities. In fact, two applications right here. Application number one, we need to pray and we need to participate in bringing the kingdom to people who don't know the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And second, we need to be encouraged because all this is playing out exactly as God has said. How are we doing? Is this making sense to you? Is this way too intense? Should I just back off and maybe talk about some psychology for a while? Is that what we should do? Right? Should I just do a motivational talk? All right? All right. I just want you to breathe for a minute because I tend to get intense and I forget to breathe. I might pass out if I don't stop every once in a while. And breathe. But the little horn, he's just a little horn because every time the little horn is mentioned, something else comes just as quickly. And this is what I want you to see right now. In verse 8, here's this little horn spouting his arrogance against God's people. Verse 9, look at this, look at this. 
little horn spouting, spouting his arrogance. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flashing with fire and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Who is the Ancient of Days? Yeah, God takes his throne. God the Father, right here. And when God the Father takes his throne, everything goes quiet. Even the boasting of the little horn. Because when God takes his throne, the gavel falls. Friends, we've been living in a season of grace where God's allowing all who will come to come. But there's coming a day when grace will end and we will all be given account for what will be done for the things of God. This fire represents God's holiness. Okay, Some teach that it represents two things, holiness and judgment. But friends, God's holiness and his judgment are one and the same. They can't be separated. God can't help who he is. His holiness is a consuming fire, and any holy thing that tries to stand before it will be immediately destroyed. God can't help it. It's his character. In fact, his chariot has wheels of fire. It's a portable chariot, right? And wherever God is, his chariot goes, and God is everywhere. But someday we will stand before him, and we will give an account. Verse 11 then I continue to watch because of the boastful words of the horn, the little horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain. Hallelujah. And his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beast had been stripped. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man. Who loved to call himself the Son of Man? Jesus. Here comes Jesus, right? Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. Jesus approaching the Father, right? And was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Anybody like that? Can we give God glory for that? What's the contrast here? All the great empires will fall, but the kingdom of God will reign forever, right? The beast comes out of the sea, bottom up, but God always comes from the clouds. Yeah, you better believe it. In fact, Jesus said this to his disciples in Acts 1. The disciples, they were looking intensely up into the sky as he was going, his ascension, when suddenly two men, angels dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus coming with the clouds. And what we're seeing here in Daniel, starting with verse 11 of chapter 7, is the coronation of Jesus where he takes his place at the right hand of the Father and rules forever and forever. All the selfish ambitions of men and the kingdoms they led, their power that drove them to destruction, all of it will end right here. All right, now, back to the interpretation again. Still talking about the little bleeps of this little horn, and we're coming in for a landing here, so get ready. Notice verse 15, Daniel approaches someone that's in the vision, has a conversation with them, gives the impression Daniel himself is right inside the vision, living it out. Some claim this is the angel Gabriel, and we're going to see him next week. In verses 21 through 25, again, the little horn is speaking against God, attacking God's people. Notice what it says there. He's trying to change the set times and laws. Again, this is where I have to stand on truth, friends. Right now, laws and history are being rewritten like never before in your lifetime. It's happening. It's happening. It's the spirit of Antichrist that wants to make anything associated with Jesus and with God look bad so that one can arise that will win the hearts of the people. But look at verse 26. But the court will sit and his power, the little horn's power, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. It's our inheritance. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. That's Jesus' kingdom. And all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Wow. So there's a side of which we get really excited about Jesus coming, but there's a painful side of what's going to happen to mankind and judgment. How do we balance the two of these? Daniel saw the judgment of the Antichrist. This isn't to be confused with the judgment seat of Christ when we all stand before Christ. There's going to be several different types of judgment. But friends, ultimately, we're all going to give an account before God. And if you were to stand before God right now, what would you claim about your own goodness? And I hope that the Spirit of Christ is working in you in such a way that if you don't know Christ, that honestly you'd say, I can't stand. I can't be like the little horn who boasts in the presence of God. I have nothing to boast about. In fact, if I'm going to boast about anything, I need to point to Jesus who stands on my defense. And he says, I paid the price for him. 
by my own blood. Jesus gave his life for you because you don't have what it takes to stand before a holy God and neither do I. I hold on to Jesus who has me covered and because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, to become a sacrificial lamb, to take your sins upon himself and carry them to the grave forever. Jesus will one day, the scripture says this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah. That's why I preach. God has made a way for you. And you can continue to fight. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Look around. There's other people worse than me. Yet the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short. And for that reason, I hold on to Jesus with everything in me. And that's what I'm about. The law condemns. Jesus sets free. And Jesus rules forever. Let's pray. Maybe today is your day. Maybe the Spirit has been speaking to you and Christ is coming alive in you like never before and something in you is compelling you to call in the name of Christ. Believe, my friend, believe. In fact, right now, I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come and be available here uh, to your left at the front of the stage and they'd love to share with you more they're also available if you need prayer for anything but hey if you got folks with you maybe they'll want to know maybe they'll want to pray with you too share with them share with them